no worries. So, Carol, the story uh, came out, uh, what, uh, just a couple of days ago. And this is a story with Phyllis Cottle that you've been working on, gosh, 35 years of your life almost, <laughs> uh, from initially reporting to investigating to the podcast. And you've seen this story from front until, I guess we can say, almost the, the end now. So talk about Samuel Herring with the DNA. And um, I guess, first of all, you know, the initial thoughts from you, and obviously you saw this coming. Um. Yes, I knew that the Ohio Innocence Project was looking into Herring's case for about, I don't know, three years. Um, I chose not to divulge it in my podcast because this was Phyllis's story, and I figured may come to nothing. So why put the family through that hell, right? Mm -hmm. um, when, you know, the Ohio Innocence Project could come up with nothing. So I decided not to divulge that information. I did, however, do a deep dive on the investigation with open eyes. Um, you know, there were holes in the case, but they also had very strong evidence. And um, and um, prosecutors didn't base their conviction of Samuel Herring on physical evidence. It was always a circumstantial case because back in 1984, as I'm sure you know, um, DNA testing was prehistoric. It was like right. the wild west of serology testing back then. So... Um, so physical evidence was never a factor, but yeah, I knew. And um, and then when the Innocence Project uh, was working with the Summit County Prosecutor's Office to do DNA testing on recently uncovered evidence that was stored in the Title Bureau in Summit County, which is very strange. <laughs> <laughs> so can you um, get it? Can from from what you know through all of your years in in regards to this case and. Your podcast, I know you've dove into this completely. Get into the DNA evidence of this case of what you know. Um, what I know through court records, court records and police documents, um, there was some physical evidence that was available to prosecutors back in the day, but it was contaminated with some sort of paint thinner or cleaning solvent. So they never had like um, a, a semen sample that was uncontaminated, which meant that it was kind of useless in court. They kind of went through that in a very complicated, hard to understand way. And, you know, you can just put yourself in the jury's place of them going, hmm. Um, there was fiber and hair evidence, but frankly, today, that fiber and hair evidence would never be admissible in court because you can only do DNA testing on hair, for example, if it comes out by the root, because then there's DNA. Otherwise, it's just a hair. People do all sorts of things with their hair today, right? Gray hair, you dye your hair. You can't really pin a hair to an individual person unless the root is attached and there's DNA. So that hair evidence and the fiber evidence, and same things with fibers, like very hard to prove. So those things wouldn't even be admissible in court today, but they came up in trial. But again, um, when the forensic scientist, actually he was a serologist, when he testified to, to testing the fibers in the hair, even he said, don't know if the hair is herrings, but it could be, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. So the case really did hinge on circumstantial evidence, not physical evidence. 
reporter um, Carol Costello. Oh, I'm sorry, Carol. I thought you were done. Go right ahead. <laughs> so I think that um, when this newly discovered evidence turned up in Summit County, and there was DNA on on pieces of Phyllis's clothing. Um, I can't say if they were contaminated or not, but I think it was. But today, you know, we have the science to to test it and and come out with accurate results, even if it is contaminated in that way. The the, the story and you're continuing with your podcast, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment uh, with what you've done with the podcast and where you are in that series. But you were very close through the years of not only Phyllis, but the family itself. I imagine you can only imagine how they feel this week right now with what has transpired. Um, I knew Phyllis better than her family, but I did do extensive interviews with the family uh, for my podcast. And they're just as amazing and courageous as Phyllis Cottle is. I mean, they're tough as nails, but compassionate and good people. Um, we did have many private conversations that I can't share the details of. Suffice it to say, this was um, this was a painful moment for them, but they never wavered in their belief that Samuel Herring did the deed, never. And, you know, but, you know, of course they were open to whatever the DNA test said, but when they came back and the DNA test confirmed, it was like Samuel Herring that did the deed. Um, they're relieved and happy and had to be an early Christmas present for them, right? No doubt. With us is reporter Carol Costello with us. So let's go to to the podcast itself. And uh, I've interviewed you. I think this is our third or fourth time we've talked about that. Uh, but for my listeners who might be just jumping on this story with it back in the news, talk about what inspired you to put this together because it's a compelling and it's a, but it's a horrifying story of what went on. You covered it initially and you brought it back with this podcast and it's still going. So talk about what inspired you to do it and then where you are in the podcast. Well, Phyllis Cottle inspired me to do it. I just think that she is a survivor like no other. She had tremendous courage. She suffered things that I don't know, not many people would want to continue living with, but she did. And she made, she claimed she, well, I shouldn't say she claimed she knew what she was doing because that was Billa's. Um, she said that what happened to her made her a better person, gave her life meaning. And I always struggled with that because I don't think I have that in me, but she did. And I really wanted to explore how she managed to do that, not only to go on living, but living a happy life that had meaning and purpose. To me, that was big. And that was a story that needed to be shared because so often true crime podcasts focus on the perpetrator and not the survivor who is the true hero in the story. So I very much wanted it to be Phyllis's story. So when this DNA evidence thing came about, it was like, oh God, <laughs> that was very painful for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I wanted the best for Phyllis. I didn't want her story to end that way. Yeah. And thankfully it didn't. So where are you with the podcast now? What's coming up next? Okay. So what's coming up next? I do a deep dive on how a man could maintain his innocence for 40 years, as in Samuel J. Herring, manipulate the Ohio Innocence Project, which is a credible, wonderful organization. 
and to believing that he didn't do it, knowing fully well he did it. I mean, can you imagine someone saying, yeah, you should test that DNA, I want those DNA tests, knowing that he did it. Yeah. That's just, I don't know, you fill in the blank there. I find that just unbelievable. So I explore that issue. And in the ensuing podcast, I really want to explain um, what the Innocence Project does, um, how it does get it sometimes wrong and why that is, um, but that its work is still important. Um, but in this latest episode that's going to drop in a couple of days, I, I wanted to get into how all of this happened and and how it transpired and why and try to put some meaning on it and what it means to Phyllis's legacy and and the criminal justice system and, and all of that. Carol, the exact name of the podcast for the listeners is? It's Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this as we wrap up our conversation. And, and I know this story was really close to you from your days at WAKR and in Akron and such. But with what you've done and maybe the inspiration from this story, does this maybe open up the doors for you to do maybe more stories and more investigation into this and looking at the guilty and the innocent? Yes, I have big plans for the future. I figure I'll drop um, maybe four episodes total in this latest season of Blind Rage. But after that, um, I'm going to move on to a different case. And the cool thing for me is now I have a whole team of people to help me tell even better stories. So I'm really excited about the future. And, um, you know, when I left CNN, I didn't really know what exactly I would do, but this has opened up a whole new world for me. So again, thanks, Phyllis Cottle. <laughs> You're Carol. still inspiring. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and for the good too, correct. I mean, you're, Definitely. you're digging into these stories that otherwise these books might not be opened again. Hey, thanks for joining us again in Akron. We appreciate the time and I'll stay in touch with you. It's, it's much appreciated. Please do. Thank you so much.